0: And we
1: are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hour in finance radio. And what a week. I, as I was saying to the people on the three-minute open, and I think I've explained that enough times, right? However the, however the scheduling works out, there's one station in Seattle that has three more, air, three more minutes of airtime than every other station that we're on. And so I, I I have to fill, you know, we're able to do a three-minute intro. And that's the first station I was ever on, actually, in, is KTTH, 770 a.m. in Seattle. Uh, anyway, so but like I was explaining to them, great show plan for you. I had to, for personal reasons, move the interview. Um, and like I was telling the folks in the three-minute open, something that you don't know about me is I am a big-time football coach. <laughs> be. be it's set. My second and third grade Seahawk team. My sons started playing. I got a fourth grader and a second grader, and uh, they needed some help on the second and third grade team. So I stepped in and started coaching. About four or five. It was about five weeks ago. Uh, pr- about halfway through the season, and um, it, it's a lot. <laughs> if you know football, and if you've coached football before, coaching kids that age, um, I, I would highly recommend it. For a couple reasons: a, it's a blast, okay; b, it's insanely frustrating. It is like hurting greased cats. Um, you literally I, you can lose these kids in ten seconds, right? So you you start working with one kid to get them corrected on something, and you turn around, and there's a dog pile, right? the other kids, and they're laughing. I mean, it's just it's chaos. Um, but I'm proud as heck of these kids, and. They've done great. They've grown a lot. We're having an absolute blast. So anyway, between that and my beautiful bride's birthday, there were some things that I had to address today, and just I couldn't have time for the interview, so we had to push it. But there's plenty to talk about, and there's so much to talk about. We may even go into an extra inning segment or do a deep dive where I'm just addressing you know the the things that I want to get to because there's a lot of them, um, and and I'm going to make this kind of a debunking day about some things that are going around that I'm seeing and, uh, you know, just, just addressing it. Um, and I want to put the big caveat out there guys. And I'll always say this, my crystal ball is as cloudy as anybody. Okay. All we can do is operate with the information that we have and make good risk adjusted decisions, knowing full well that sometimes we will be wrong and i think it's really important in the world of investing and to be fair to guys like jim cramer who i beat up at times and who a lot of people on the internet beat up in the inverse E-E-E- jim cramer etf when you're out there constantly and at being asked for opinions on all these like it's it it is so unfair to grab onto somebody's losers Like, even the best in the business, I think historically Warren Buffett's hit rate is like 63%. So, 63, 64% of the stuff he buys ends up making money for his investors. Conversely, 35, 36% of the time it doesn't. Right. And when you're out there in the public eye constantly saying that, you're going to have a lot of wrong stuff. You know, hopefully you got more right, but you're going to have a lot of wrong. Uh, and I just think that you, you know, anytime that you're giving an opinion about this, you need to give the counterpoint. You know, when you talk, like, like I've said on the show so many times, if you want to know the person that you shouldn't listen to, it's the person that expresses certainty. And for that point, one of the things that we do with our analysts here and one of the things that I do and that, that, that it's not just build me a bull case on the stock before we take a position I also make our guys tell me, and I, this is something I've learned. I need to understand the bear case. I need to understand why there are people that don't agree with me. And I need to know that argument just as well as I know mine. Right? Because it's the bullet you don't. It is the thing, like Twain says, it is the thing you know for certain that just isn't so. Right? That's what gets you. It's certainty in things that aren't, j- just aren't so. And sometimes it can be frustrating talking to really good investors because there's always caveats. Why? Because they know this. So, we're going to address some schisms and some misconceptions and do a bit of a debunking today on a couple different things. First of all, we're going to revisit energy. And I keep getting questions about this. I feel like I've spoken too much on this topic. But. The questions I keep getting, even from my own employees and my own clients, kind of reinforce to me that we need to revisit the whole energy situation, especially the price gouging for whatever. It's like these people are are on a schedule for whatever reason. Quarterly announcements are coming out again and energy companies are putting up killer profits, just like we've been telling you they would. And uh, here come out the price gougers again, okay? So we're going to revisit that and walk through step by step. And, and I just want to throw the caveat out there. I am not a pro. I promise you this, okay? If you want to understand what is really happening in energy markets, I am going to break it down for you in a completely apolitical way, okay? This isn't about whether you like solar or green energy, This isn't about whether you love Joe Biden or hate him. This isn't, it's not about any of that. Okay. One of the nice things about finance and economics, although we may not know outcomes, there are facts and there are nonsense. So, what I'm going to do is to deliver the facts. And one of the ways that I hope you will see when we lay this out in the next segment regarding energy, one of the things that I hope you grab onto is that I am not going to blame one person or blame one party because the truth of the matter is it is a much bigger issue than that. This energy problem was not created by Joe Biden. This energy problem was not created by Donald Trump. This energy problem was not created by Vladimir Putin. This energy problem was not created by Barack Obama. Have all of those people had influences on it? Sure. Did they create it? No. And, and the other thing that we need to remember is anytime somebody is diagnosing a problem in real life as an adult, it is so rarely one answer, right? Like I've said a million times, it's a confluence of events. But I think there is so much, I mean, in general today, we all know this, there is so much disinformation out there on both sides and so much nonsense and people are so willing to pick up the nonsense and run with it because it happens to fit their political framework or maybe it makes them feel comfortable or maybe they're just intellectually lazy, right? Why are oil prices high? Because oil companies are greedy. Okay. Right. So we're going to dig into that and I'm going to explore that. I'm also going to revisit housing. Again, another thing that I feel like I've been I again I, I want to bring fresh content to the show but you know I also listen to the audience and I listen to our clients and I listen to our employees and these questions keep coming up. Uh we did a road show last night where by the way I didn't realize that and I I swear to you guys I did not realize we could do this. Um I got to actually ask our operations people. We had 240 people on the road show last night. Um, I didn't know we, I've been telling you guys, I, I just never want there to be any misconception. I've been telling you that we couldn't have more than a, was, was it a hundred or 125 people? That was the case at some point. I don't know if zooms changed or our per, subscriptions changed, but, um, I can't use that against you guys. I can't, I can't use that as a reason to sign up anymore. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure what happened there. I'll have to, I'll have to ask. But anyway, that, that was the last roadshow we're going to do this year. But if you sign up for any that are going to be starting next year, we're already getting one put together for uh, January. Um, there are more than 100 slots now. So there's that. Anyway, let's get to market updates. So first off, off the top, the biggest thing are earnings. Um, uh, we have talked a lot about Apple and the impact on the iPhones. Apple actually has been the only big tech company that had a decent earnings number. Um now I will say this iPhone unit sales I haven't gone through it. we we own Apple stock it's something that's long in our portfolio so we're benefiting from the bounce today um we also owned a small position in Facebook that we bought at about 120 so 120 was it 125 I can't remember uh we bought it way after we actually we sold it last November um and thank god we did because the price of the stock was doing really well and to facebook's credit they had really they had warned the market about the spend on the metaverse right so they're spending 20 billion plus to build the metaverse well that 20 billion hits against their earnings right at the end of the day when we're looking at quarterly results <clears throat> it's profit less cost right well, that determines your profit, right? Revenue minus cost. So if you're ramping up this spending over here, it's going to hit your earnings. The reason we pulled the trigger is because you could tell the price of the stock hadn't built that in, which I thought was kind of odd because I was like, well, the market knows this is coming. But anyway, we pulled and thank God we did because we've missed. Like I said, I took a hit on it this week, but we missed, you know, we've missed the vast majority of the drop Um And I don't really have any opinions on this one right now, guys. I got to dig through it. I think the business that they have is still very solid. I think the metaverse is something that could potentially be very big. I know that Facebook had a reduction in revenue. But Facebook is an ad company. We're, in my opinion, we're going into a recession. And we're already in one. And ad revenue will drop. That shouldn't surprise anybody. Now, could this be a terminal decline for Facebook? Yeah, there there are signs that point that way. The issue that I'm grappling with is even if that is the case, what you're betting on as an investor, even though the business might be deteriorating or anything, there's a lot of costs they can pull out of that business. And that business is still producing massive amounts of cash. Right. So I will say that the thing that concerns me the most about Facebook, honestly, at this point is the stock buybacks. Okay, so if they knew, which I'm sure they had intimations, if they knew that revenue was going to be challenged going forward and they knew about the huge investments they were making in the metaverse, why were they buying stock back at 300? I think they bought something like 12 billion dollars. The biggest red flag to me is that 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 really shakes my confidence in their management team, so I don't have a view on Facebook one way or the other. on one side of it looks really cheap on the other side of it. that is a huge, huge in my opinion misstep that i it's confounding to me why you would be buying stock I mean, just think at three hundred if they wait till now to buy that stock back. That stock buys back quick math in my head. They're buying it at 300 and you're now at a hundred, right? That stock, that 12 billion basically buys you three times more stock. So now would I be opposed to them using some of their cash to buy back stock now? No, but not in lieu of the fact that they just blew 12 billion of it. So there's too much to go through flipping back to Apple. Apple actually surprised me a little bit to the upside uh iphone sales now i'm not positive on this again i was going through the numbers last night revenue on iphones was up nine percent but remember they increased the cost by about 15 so i gotta go look at the actual numbers i also have to look at the product mix but um it does look to me like unit sales are down um but again, I will just say right out of the gate, which corresponds to what we were telling you. I, you know, I said over and over, look at the situation, look at the dollar, all these things. Is Apple not going to sell iPhones anymore? Of course not. Are they going to sell as many? No. Um, I think Apple's just a big, powerful horse, and I would expect to see them see a meaningful slowdown in Q4. That's kind of what we're guiding for. Now, I'm not selling it either. To me, it's a long-term hold. I don't own a huge position in it. I'm not advocating that you guys do. Um, But, you know, Apple's a great company. Uh, But I do think... um, I'll just tell you our outlook. I I am looking forward to buying more Apple at lower prices at some point in the future. I may miss my opportunity. It's possible that I could be wrong. Um, I'm just watching their... Price to earnings. I'm just watching that valuation go higher, and I just find it completely inconceivable that they get through the next two years without seeing a meaningful hit to earnings. I, I just I cannot get there mentally. Um, the other thing, the, the other thing that I, I would say to temper the, the excitement for uh, Apple bulls and, and again, we own the stock um is the huge surge max sales were up 25 percent year over year that is unsustainable great job by them i think it reflects the strength of that m2 chip that they launched um but but i think that you're seeing a big jump in max sales as an impact of the release of the new m2 chip and then the discounting of older models uh I will just tell you that Mac sales have not jumped up 25, percent and that's a new guidepost, right? They will not hold that rate, especially with PCU or PC sales collapsing, right? That is going to that is going to hit them, right? The Apple enthusiasts were holding out; they were going to buy the M2 chip and computer no matter what. Um, I, now I'm not again; we own the stock. I'm not trying to make a case about why Apple's going down the tank. Um, I just think you look at it right now. At these levels, to me, Apple is priced for absolute perfection, and I find it highly unlikely that 's going to be the case. Not advocating you sell it, not advocating you short it. Uh, I will just tell you personally we 're looking to pick up more at a significantly lower valuation um, and that and that 's the other thing I mean I think that you 're watching the we say it in the in the business the general 's getting taken out and shot right. Facebook, Google miss, Amazon down hard, really weak guidance for fourth quarter. Um, Amazon to me is the tell. Okay. If Amazon's getting hammered and AWS sales are slowing down, which they did meaningfully in a concerning way, which is causing us to go back. And look and really dig into Amazon. We own a small position in Amazon. We've owned for a while. Uh, Same thing. Really making us dig into that one because I've been looking to pick up more Amazon at lower prices as well. That earnings report, I think, again, not telling you to short it or sell it. That earnings report was bad enough to make us question several things that we previously weren't questioning. Um. And, guys, those are the tells. We're talking about the big – the other side of it that makes me – let me get back to this really quick on Apple. The other side of it that makes me believe it's a one-off is iPad sales really confirmed everything else we're seeing in the PC market. So um, I kind of think they got a stick save with the release of the M2 chip. Again, iPhone sales were better than I thought. Not not a lot better. I wasn't expecting to see a collapse. I don't really think you're going to see – Material slowdowns in consumer spending until fourth quarter of this year and first quarter of next year or, or rather I should say I think that's when they're going to show up and really start uh, uh, reflecting uh, on on bottom line numbers for these companies that are announcing. Um, but, you know, that's what kind of makes this market resiliency interesting this week um, because the earnings announcements have not been good and they are all pointing in the same direction they are really reinforcing our recessionary view and um when you see those companies getting hit by that again it reinforces our view that this market is still way too expensive in light of the reality it's facing that's our opinion uh and i won't just say it's you know i could be wrong been wrong before but you know i try i'm I want to find out where we're wrong. I try to get behind and read and understand these bullish arguments. I, I just can't get there, guys. I just can't get there. If, if this market was trading at 12, 13 times earnings, then it would be, I'm not going to lie to you, it would be very interesting to me at those levels. right? Very interesting to me. And I would be a long-term buyer. I, you know, I wouldn't be speculatively buying, but I'd be in there buying more Apple, more Amazon, you know, possibly more energy companies, some Costco, right? Some Berkshire Hathaway. I, that, I would be a net buyer, right? If you were down for th- even 14, 15 times earnings would be more attractive. But when you look at what we're up against 20, I, I just don't see it. I just can't get there. Um, <clears throat> what else happened? The other thing we told you last week. And I'm just kind of laughing because I didn't follow my own advice as much as I should have. Now, we're not investing for one weeks, right? But it hasn't been a great week for us. I I think I'm down today with the market soaring because energy is getting pounded. And yeah, correlations have broken down. I will will say to you as a piece of advice, guys, uh, no matter how you look at it, um, this is not a healthy market. The correlations keep breaking down. Um, The price swings up and down. These are just not, these are not healthy signs. These are not signs that things have been flushed out. Um, So kind of like our position on housing, I I just think, you know, when you get, when you, you know, don't go sell everything. Not saying that. I just think when you get these rips and this could certainly go higher, it has the look like it wants to. um, I still believe that'll be a profit taking opportunity. I think you 're looking at another bear market rally, how high this one goes, who knows um, i there 's just nothing positive to point to. People are like, Well, the market looks ahead. Well, the market looks ahead that 's very true, but the market isn 't blind, okay, and the market it has not baked into it a recession at all. All this is reflecting at this point is higher interest rates still. And you're watching, like I said, the stalwarts, the generals of this entire bull run getting smacked, showing revenue decreases for the first time. Profitability drops, missing on earnings, missing on revenues, you know, back and forth, Um, you know, PC units falling off a cliff or PC sales falling off a cliff. Um, You know, it's not catastrophic yet, but the trend is very nasty. Um, ad revenues down. I mean, these are right. These are these are kind of what copper used to be for the economy when we were more industrial. Right, doctor copper. If you want to look at the trajectory of the companies or the economy now, I think the biggest cues are chip sales, PC sales, uh, and ad revenue spends. Okay, none of that looks good. It all reflects what we're seeing, and I just think you have this inability for investors to accept the fact that uh, you're not going to see a COVID-like bounce here. Um, There's also this belief out here that I've heard several people express that the Fed's not going to hike at the next meeting. They're going to pivot. The market's going to soar. Guys, look, the Fed can do anything, but that is to not understand Fed policy. The Fed is not going to not raise at the next meeting. Okay, they're not. That's already priced into the euro dollar futures markets. It's already priced into treasuries. They are going to raise. Okay, so if that is your bullish thesis, I would caution you on that. Now, again, I don't know that I didn't talk to Jay Powell, but they have all they have been all about for fifteen years forward uh, uh, forecasting, not surprising the markets. The other reason why they don't do that if they don't raise again, the dollar will plummet, oil will soar all the stuff they've been trying to beat down will get worse again okay, so we're going to take a quick break we 're going to come back and talk about the energy debunking as always guys. If you want a portfolio that's hanging close to flat this year overall, right, stock portfolios down about seven, eight together, uh, the two different portfolios, overall client portfolios down three to four. Last year, we had a great year up over 15, 16 percent, something like that. If you want a portfolio that can stand up to anything and sleep well at night, knowing that you're protected, but still have more upside and less cost, give us a call. Okay, there's a better way to do it. You don't have to be sitting there staring at 20, 25% losses this year. There's a better way to do it. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, KnowYourRiskRadio.com, or CapitalManagement.com. You guys know the drill. Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stick with us. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
0: This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach discuss key investment strategies across several asset classes, not just stocks and bonds. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
2: Hey, it's Story Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now?
1: Without a doubt, Dory, it's inflation, and it's here. All the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates, the bills come and do, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60-40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. Well, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free book Booklet, common sense investing learn how to protect your portfolio against loss but still seek
2: to grow your assets call zach now for your free copy of common sense investing 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement bulwark capital management is an investment advisor representative of trek financial llc and sec registered investment advisor.
0: What does outside-the-box investing really look like? Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management, and see a side-by-side comparison of your current portfolio versus one Zach would recommend. Schedule your free risk review at KnowYourRiskRadio.com. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief
1: Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Okay, so getting into our debunking discussion. And as I've always said, I want to deliver good information. I want it to be entertaining, right? I want it to, but but I also want to provide some clarity and some understanding of things that are going on um, while keeping politics out of it. Okay, just because... If you guys can't tell, I'm not going to try to hide it. You know, I am much more on the conservative libertarian side. Okay, but I also have said repeatedly on the show, and I know that there are a lot of people that don't agree with me politically uh, that do listen to the show. And I would like to think it's because we try to keep politics out of it. Okay, and the reason why is because this is like I've said a million times, this job is hard enough, let alone to let political views Shield what you're thinking okay so i am just going to bring facts okay just facts and data that's all we're going to talk about today as it relates to energy and there's so much you know you're seeing was it shell just announced record profits i mean they're basically all announcing record profits which is why we were pounding the table last year telling you you needed to increase your percentage holdings in energy stocks um Good golly. The, the NASDAQ is now leading after Amazon got wrecked. It's just incredible. <laughs> and, we, we, and if you're wondering why, guys, the breadth is actually not very good today. Um, the vast majority of this rally is simply Apple. It's the largest company in the world. When it goes up a lot, it is dragging all the indexes with it. So, no, you didn't miss any great new bullish news. Um, and I, and, I, and I really think the Apple quarter wasn't bad. It does not deserve this type of um celebration i think it kind of deserved to stay in the range that it was trading in and it really hasn't broken out it's not breaking above 158 that's been kind of a resistance level um but you know i think a lot i think a lot of this is short covering quite honestly but we'll see i mean then short covering happens and retail jumps all over it oh the coast is clear on apple i don't think so anyway flipping back to the energy discussion um they're all coming out, dropping record profits, right? And every time they do, somebody goes in there and goes, this price gouging, there needs to be an investigation. How can prices be up this much? Okay. So let's, let's walk through this. Okay. So this is something that I understand. I was raised around, uh, in a natural resources, investing broker dealer that my grandfather and father started back in the early eighties. Um, They've done oil deals, nat gas deals, pipeline deals, copper deals, silver deals, gold deals. And all of those industries, all of those sectors, all those metals, all those commodities, they're different. They all work differently, but they have a lot in common. Right. They see the other differences here and there, but there's a lot in common. And let me walk you through. If you want to know, let's start with the term price gouging. I love the term, and the reason I love the term is because I don't understand what it means. Okay, Price gouging. Well, I don't understand the way it's being used, I guess, in pop culture. That would be a better way to put it. I, I, they say it, and I'm like, uh, oh, that's not what price. Price gouging traditionally is when there's a monopoly or an oligopoly or a small group of companies, right, collusion, that sit there and all decide, hey, we're going to raise our prices together by 10%. Right. Because if we all raise our prices by 10 percent, we'll all maintain market share and we'll increase our profit. OK, that's price gouging. OK, it is virtually impossible to price in commodity markets. Why? Because the players are so disparate. Right. You have players all over the world, different countries under different tax laws, under different securities laws, all trying to sell their product for as much as much as they can get for it. But the sellers in commodity markets, much like the sellers in any markets, do not determine price, right? If you own a million dollar house right now, you can go out and try to price gouge. You can list your house for three million bucks. Now, I'm going to warn you, you're probably not going to get your asking price. But if you do, you know, tip of the cap to you, right? But my point is the list price in housing, we all know this. Let's, let's extrapolate this thinking to something we all know and understand, housing. Who determines the price? It's the buyer or buyers, a bidding war, right? That's determined by buyers, okay? The same is true with commodity companies, whether it's oil, whether it's natural gas, whether it's copper, whether it's silver, whether it's gold, they take their good to the market and they sell it for what the buyers are willing to pay. Okay? That's first of all. That's that's just baseline. People are like, Well, they are colluding. Really? You think all these companies are colluding? Okay, and if they have the ability to collude, as I've said before, how do you explain the last eight to nine years? How do you explain the blow up in shale in 2014 when a bunch of companies went out of business? How do you explain the drop in oil at the end of 2015? How do you explain the the oil going negative for the first time during covid? If these guys could price gouge, they're doing a horrible, bloody job. It, it, it is ridiculous on the face of it. What concerns me more about it, though, and guys, this is apolitical. It, it, it we should the attitude that we should all take when we hear this, regardless of whether we like oil or like Biden or hate him or love oil or green, whatever, to, to make good decisions going forward. We have to know the facts. Right. If we keep deciding things and legislating things based on philosophical ideas we're going to keep getting these kinds of results okay so what are the facts like i like i've explained there these companies went through hell over the last eight years okay so so we i think we've dealt with the price gouging thing this is not a price gouging thing at all this is a competitive marketplace one of the most competitive marketplaces in the world okay and then all that, too, you look around the world, you're like, guys, they're not like the price of oil isn't at 250. It's at 90. It's at 87. When did that become obscene? Well, it's not. Now it's like, well, it's not the price oil. It's the price of gasoline. Ah, ha, ha. two different things. And a lot of the companies that are selling oil don't refine it. They're not the ones selling the gasoline. Okay, so. We go from oh, this is collusion, and the producers are price gouging they the producers don't determine the price of gasoline now, some of them are integrated, meaning they have refineries too. but for the most part, these are two completely separate things okay so a now that we've said that we've defined collusion and the fact that it's just not possible in a market that big it's just there's too many players, there's too many disparate interests, there's too many geopolitical interests there's too many governments intervening constantly, right. If there is any price manipulation going on, it's by us, the releasing of the SPR, which is essentially fake supply. That's it, right? The price of oil is where it's at because there's been no investment over the last 10 years, period, end of story, full stop. And the companies that produced it have gone through hell to survive. A lot of them haven't. There's been massive bankruptcies in the, in, in the sector. Okay. So where are the profits coming from? Okay. Let's walk through that. This is one of the reasons we were pounding on the table to invest in energy companies last year. Okay. And I'll explain what I mean. When companies go through really tough times in any sector, but this is especially true in commodities. Why? Because commodities are cyclical. Okay. Meaning you have a relatively fixed cost. Right? If you want to produce oil, you got to pay the price to have the pump there, right? The power. You got to pay enough guys to run it. You have to keep that operation going for the most part, regardless of where the price of oil is, right? So when the price of oil drops, you are taking it in the shorts. It's bad. And there's not a lot you can do. You can cut costs here and there, but you got to keep operating or your wells will fall out and you'll, it'll cost you more to open them back up and do the maintenance on them. There's all kinds of different reasons why you just can't stop. And then if you stop, you'll pull your production off the line, which will lower, which will lower, lower supply, which will lift the price for other guys to come in there and steal market share from you. So, I mean, it, it, you just, you, you can't do it that easy. So when you go through these really tough times with challenging prices, you cut cost wherever you can. You reduce headcount, right? You pay off debt. You do all of these things to try to improve the cash flow scenario, okay? So you get very lean. Think about how businesses survive recessions. Essentially, the oil industry, the energy industry has been in recession for the last 8 years. Okay? They don't survive recessions by increasing their costs. Right? They survive them by paying them off or keep or reducing costs or paying down debt. Okay? So then all of a sudden, the price of oil jumps, okay? Now, you're selling the, your commodity at 30, 40, 50, 60% higher than you were, and your cost structure still reflects back when oil was 30 to 40 bucks, right? Now, so b- boom, there's just a lot of profit falling to the bottom line. Again, this works the same with oil, co- or oil companies, gas companies, metals, uh, any type of mining, really any type of commodity, Okay, what is making the profits so big this time around is usually when oil starts getting into a bull market, which it very much looks like it is, production goes up. Okay, production isn't going up. The biggest expense producers pay are exploration costs, drilling, looking for new oil, opening new wells. It is very, very capital intensive. OK, so one of the, re- the major reason, the two major reasons we've already talked about the cost reductions and debt pay downs and all that kind of stuff. But now you flip to it, unlike any other time in the past recent history, looking back 20, 30, 40 years, you've got a bull market happening in the commodity and production isn't budging. Right, so they're they're just making all the money off the thing and they're not reinvesting it. Why are they not reinvesting it? They're not reinvesting it because the president of the country right now said, quote, unquote, we are going to get rid of fossil fuel companies. Right. That's what he said. He closed drilling off drilling permits to public lands. And he's if you are under an existential threat as a business operator, are you going to be investing? No, you batten down the hatches. You try to stack cash, you pay off debt, you issue dividends to shareholders to keep them happy and on your same page. You don't go out there and start producing. The guy telling you to produce is also the one that's promised kids we're going to get rid of fossil fuel companies. If Biden would have come into office and said, my number one priority is to get rid of big tech and break them up. Do you think Amazon would be investing and purchasing as many warehouses no, that'd be ridiculous. Why would you go out there and invest a bunch of money if you're about to get busted up? The shareholders would want to string you from the yardarm. Th- th- this is so simple. What are they supposed to do? Do you expect these CEOs who are fiduciaries of the share, their shareholder capital to go out there and load the gun that Biden's or, or anybody else? And I'm not trying to signal on Biden. He's not the only one. Should they go out there and load the gun that's going to be pointed at them and and basically usher in their own demise if they did that they i mean as a shareholder, I'd sue them. What do you expect them to do They've told everybody don't invest in their stock, don't fund their debt. don't do this don't do that. we're going to shut off public lands for drilling we're going to make it harder to get drilling permits improved and you you're wondering why they're not investing so And guys, this is what always happens. Politicians intervene and end up creating the exact opposite impacts that they want. How should they be dealing with this right now? The way they should be dealing with it is the way they've dealt with in the past. They should be encouraging production. They should flood the market. Here's the other thing. You want to talk about taking the wind out of Putin's sails? Flood the bloody market with nat gas and oil. Drive the cost down so he doesn't make any money. Starve him out. You did the same thing to Saddam back in 91. We invaded Iraq. We went around and said, everybody, pump, open up the spigots, pump. We're going to starve this guy out of, of profit. We're going to pressure him militarily, and we're going to pressure him economically. Everything these clowns do is bullish long term for the price of this commodity. And they're like, well, we've dropped the sales. Russia's selling 30% less than they were. Great, but they're selling it at double the price. Okay, so what have you done? <laughs> right? They're making more money doing less work. Good job. That's diplomacy in action. And then you're going to turn around and excoriate the people here for not producing more. When you're literally telling, you're saying out loud, we want to wipe them off the face of the earth. We want to get rid of them. It's insane. And here's the other thing. They go, gas. Guys, the reason gas is expensive is not because these people are price gouging. The average gas station makes something like three to four cents a gallon. The governments make far more money off of each gallon sold than gas stations do. So gas, So why is gas expensive? Gas is expensive Guys, when you have oil at 85 bucks, 87 bucks, right, right where it's trading at today, you shouldn't have diesel at 580. The reason gas prices in diesel are so high is because they haven't let anybody build a refiner refinery in this country for 30 plus years. So the, so the distillates that we need, we, not only do we have to pay the cost of production, we got to pay the shipping costs. We got to pay all that stuff. And because there hasn't been enough refinery capacity here in the – now, you know who has built up refinery capacity? China. Right, so once again, you look at them, and go, boy, they're doing something that makes sense. Wish we could. The, the, there is no price gouging, and this is an apolitical argument. This is a mathematical and economical argument. Bottom line, I if I hear another person say price gouging, and it's not a debate, it just makes me pound my head against the wall because you're sitting there going, you're just wrong. The, you, the, the, this is ridiculous, and and. To prove my point, why do you think we were pounding on the table last year to buy this stuff? Because of this dynamic, we could see it coming. So who do you trust? And think about it, just price gouging. Okay, great. There's your blanket statement. Now walk me through how it works. Oh, you can't because you don't understand what you're talking about. Once again, just another charlatan. Oh, man, it fires me up. Hey, <laughs> Not to mention the fact that these companies are also the ones pouring the most amount of money into ESG. <laughs> and and ironically, the ones pouring the most amount of money into ESG are the ones that are doing the worst. Shocker, right? Anyway, we got to take a quick break. As always, guys, if you want this kind of thinking, you want people that are actively managing your portfolios, making sure you're not getting wiped out when the market is in these crazy times. You want a solution to bonds. You're tired of just hearing your advisor go, Well, you just got to write it out. Well, then what am I paying you for? Right? There's a better way. You can only be down three or 4%, basically flat on the ear. And we've got clients that are flat. Okay, if you want that, and that's the way a retirement portfolio should work. If that interests you, which it should in these times, give us a call, 866 779 Risk. Again, 866 779 Risk. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com or capitalmanagement.com. You guys know the drill. We'll be right back to debunk another thing going around. You won't want to miss it. Stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. Do better in bull markets. Do
0: better in bear markets. Pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, the Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com.
2: Hey, it's Dory Monson with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. And Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now? Ironically, bonds. Really? Why?
1: Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation has hit. I'm sure you're aware. And inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost.
2: Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's bond replacement strategy, 866-779-RISK, or go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bullwork Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC-registered investment advisor.
0: You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management.
1: And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us or sticking with us, I should say. And we're in debunk. I'm on a roll here. We're going to get to the next one. Again, I feel like this is something I've pounded the table on over and over and over. But I keep getting questions. Two of the questions last night on the road show we did were about this. Is it a good time to buy housing? Just saw another video that Dave Ramsey put out. You guys know my feelings about Dave Ramsey. I think he's a good man. I think he's done incredible work helping people understand finance. And like I have always said, I think if you followed everything Dave said to the letter of the law, I think you would end up in a good place financially. OK, where Dave and I have some disagreements is on the investing side. First of all, he recommends buying mutual funds. That is so outdated. It hurts my head. It's ridiculous. It, all you should do is and I don't agree with his I don't disagree with the rest of it uh, as it relates to just putting money in every month while you're working on it. Put it in ETFs. OK, just don't listen to Dave. He's outdated. He's wrong. Uh, 93% of mutual fund managers underperform the benchmark And you pay way less fees Owning the index Just sub in index funds where he says mutual funds Another one, pounding on the houses He is still out there making economic arguments Housing prices roughly are down 10% Since he last put out a video Saying housing prices can't go down He's out there saying right now it's a great time to buy Housing prices are not going down Um, Dave isn't getting the memo Okay, let me walk you through this really quick First of all, he makes an argument that uh, if housing, if you buy a house right now, you should still get out there and buy a house because housing prices aren't dropping because demand is so high. Okay, you know what kills demand? High price. Okay, house affordability has never been worse than it is right now. Once again, buyers determine price, not sellers. Okay, there are no houses being sold. What is that telling you? Buyers are saying can't do it. What does that mean? Prices have to do means they have to come down. Now he's saying, don't worry about it. Yeah, you can buy a house, but we don't think houses are going to come down. And if you get a really high interest rate right now, just wait till interest rates come down and you'll be able to refinance. Hold on a second time out. Hey Dave, what do you think is going to make interest rates come down when inflation falls? What's one of the biggest inputs right now driving CPI? It's housing costs, rent affordabilities, all those things. Okay. When interest rates come down, they're going to come down partially because housing prices come down. Okay. So if you put 20% down and you try to follow Dave's recommendation, okay, and your house pulls back 15% and rates drop, guess what? You've got a problem on your hands because now you don't have enough equity to refi. Right? What if house prices get a little bit worse? What if you end up sitting on negative even two, three, 4% equity? Can't refi. Right? Here's the way I look at it. Can I tell you definitively which way housing – he's trying to tell you definitively which way housing prices are going. And I think he is – I think it is irresponsible what he's saying. And I love Dave. I'm not trying to dog him. I'm not trying to take shots. Okay. Quit talking to me about demand for houses and housing prices. Housing prices and the demand for houses is not what determines housing uh, – is not determined the direction of the price on housing. The biggest input to housing is mortgage rates. Period. Right? What is it? Something like 95% of the people in this country buy a home on a mortgage. Okay? The cost of mortgages is up between 85 to to 100% in the last 14 months. People are not buying houses because they're being choosy. People are not buying houses because they can't. What will allow them to buy houses? Prices coming down. And or interest rates falling. The problem is, is what brings down interest rates? Prices falling. Okay? So, I... I just could not disagree with him more. And I look at it from a risk management. Can I tell you definitively that I know he's wrong? That housing prices will not hold in there or maybe go up slightly overnight. I cannot tell you definitively that he's wrong. I very much believe he is. Here's what I can tell you. When I look at what we're up against, when I look at what's going on with interest rates, when I look at the Fed, who is going to raise again, what they are doing. Okay, it is virtually impossible for me to look out at the world 12 to 16 months from now and think to myself, the risk you're running as a purchaser is housing prices getting away from you. That's the toughest thing for me to illustrate. Is it potential that house prices kind of roughly hang in there? Yes, I don't think they will. I don't think they're going to crash, but I think you're probably looking at somewhere between a 15 to 20 percent pullback from here. And that's the other thing. All of the stuff Dave talks about, all of those economic conditions existed back in 2019, and yet you didn't see a housing boom, right? So why is that valid today, but it wasn't in 2019? Maybe there's an answer for that. I don't have it. But the way I see it is it looks pretty simple. If you want to buy a house, great. Wait. Okay? Wait for one of the two to happen. Wait for prices to meaningfully come down. Or rates meaningfully to come down, what I think is the most likely of both scenarios, that both will come down. But do not buy into this argument. Trust me, as a guy that purchased a home in 2006, right out of college, being stuck in negative equity is a nightmare. Okay, and what was everybody, guys like Dave Ramsey were saying the same thing back then. Nope, got to keep putting your money into housing. If you can afford to be stuck underwater on your home at a really nasty high interest rate for the next 10 years, then go ahead and pull the trigger. But if you can't, the other thing, it's a great time to buy housing. Housing affordability has never been worse. I want to go out there and buy things at record high prices. That's the way you make money, said nobody ever. Okay, so... If I were you, I would stack cash, wait for a pullback in rates or prices or both, which I think is the most likely outcome. Okay. But if you listen to anybody talk about housing that does not focus like a laser beam in on rates, turn it off. They just, it's the biggest input. It's the biggest factor. And if you don't believe me, look at the housing market right now. The last time home sales were this low. Was in May of 2020 when it was an illegal to have a bloody open house. It's a buyer's strike. They're not buying because they can't. And when you get a scenario like that, what happens? Price comes down to meet where demand is. Period. It's law of economics. He can throw out any demographics he wants. You follow that, you are likely to get hurt. More importantly, if I'm wrong, It's very hard to envision housing prices going up significantly over the next year, year or two. Anyway, as always, we've ran out of time, guys. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Hang in there. I'm just laughing right now because we told you last week. I would not want to be short this market and long oil. What have we seen oil stocks this week down market rallying really hard or trying to rally hard despite getting whipped by bad earnings dollar being pressured. Um, it looks like very much to me you've got this quote-unquote bullish surge trying to happen right before the elections. I'm not buying it. We'll see which way it shakes out. But if you want this kind of thinking, guys, if you want less risk, more upside, less costs, call us. 866-779-RISK. and 866-779-RISK. Got to go. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.